Bobby, what's wrong with the car? Uh-oh, I think it's broke. Look, that thing there is all swoped up. We, we got a pair of pliers and a screwdriver. We can find out. I think we should just start poking stuff. Oh, all right. All right. don't do that, folks. Tune into the Grease Gurus. Don't go to the emergency room. Go to the Grease Gurus and learn why your car might have stopped on the side of the road and what not to touch. On Saturday mornings <laughs> from 10 a.m. on the Tan Talk Radio Network. Ouch, that hurt. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years' experience with classic, vintage, sport, and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. One of the greatest legends this sport of drag racing has ever produced, an individual who has a number of achievements, including the sport's first ever five-second run. He was the first to succeed with a twin-engine car. He was the first to succeed with Buick Power, first with one engine, then two, then four. And there's Broadway Bob out there. Give him a wave. He's waving at all of you. He is your grand marshal. We had dinner with Tommy the other night, and Greg Sharp from the NHRA Historical Services Department gave Tom a number of photographs racing the single-engine car at Continental Divide, racing the twin-engine car in California, the four-engine car. He raced all around the country. Now, keep in mind, this is a four-engine car with four-wheel drive. But also remember, it's not supercharged, so by today's standards, it's not even that noisy. He's not going to run a full quarter mile. Tom hasn't driven this car since in Canada about 15 years ago. He crushed one of his lower vertebrae when it went over a pretty significant bump in the racetrack. So Tom hasn't really considered this car a friend for a long time. But here he comes. It's now owned by Norm Day, based in Muncie, Indiana. It was turned into the Buick Wagon Master, and it's running the four-engine car of TV Tommy Ivo. 60 years old now, and I'll tell you the story about Tom celebrating his 60th birthday. Tom drove race cars until he was well into his 40s. One of his half runs at Pomona was upside down, backwards on fire, and over the guardrail. I now find all four engines running. Bring it back to the safety lanes and turn it around. Switch it back to the car. Station three. Gets out of the way. But here is the result. You win Wagon Master of TV Tommy Ivo. He made it to 50 years old. Peabody and Sherman here. Set the Wayback Machine. We enter the Wayback and we're immediately hurtled back through time and space. Hi, this is Nick Mason from Pink Floyd and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tantalk, 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you missed any of our past shows, don't feel bad, because you can go to our archive page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, located on our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, and you can listen to all 400-plus shows. Wow. Hey, good evening there, Vaughn. How are you doing tonight? Hey, pretty good, Robert. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. Did you get wet today? <laughs> no. No, you're nope. inside. Stay dry. <laughs> All day, stay dry. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. We've had some, uh, it's that time of year. I think there's a, some sort of a little uh, tropical storm out there in the Gulf of Mexico, and uh, I think it's on its way to New Orleans. And uh, so it's dropped a few raindrops all over us, but uh, we've had a little bit of rain here for the last couple of weeks. But nothing compared to the beautiful and amazing and outstanding weather they have in California. So um, we were out in Monterey a couple weeks ago for the Monterey Collective Car Week, and I talked a little bit about that on my show last week. Talked a little bit about it. I think I talked a whole hour about it. So it's just, uh, you know... There's a, a lot of car events that go on all across the country, and there's some pretty amazing ones. And again, the ones that I go to is Scottsdale. I go to Amelia Island, absolutely spectacular, and SEMA. Monterey has it all. Um, there's just so much going on, and every year it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And this year was record crowds. And uh, in fact, just to digress for a second, um, somebody was telling me that Meekums, and I forgot to check it out, but uh, Meekums sold a Pinto wagon for 30 thousand dollars yeah there you go a pin on long roof for 30 grand that's pretty cool some of the other amazing cars that went through there is uh the gary cooper car that uh brought 20 million we were there at the gooding auction for that and that actually was uh part of the collection down here at the revs institute or the collier collection down in fort myers florida no excuse me naples a little further south and uh, so, but uh, Monterey is just uh, absolutely incredible. And you know, if you've never been out there, the peninsula is just kind of really unique. And and the weather in the morning is really cool. It's foggy. It's kind of uh, a little on the damp side. And uh, then all of a sudden, like about eleven o'clock, the sun comes out and burns all the stuff off the ground and it gets nice and warm and it's dry and it's beautiful and then come around four or five o'clock in the afternoon fog rolls in again and that's just the way it is out there and uh you know 56 degrees 55 degrees less than 60 which is sweater weather in the morning and you get the same thing in the evening in the afternoon you got your just running around in a t-shirt perfect weather in fact the whole bay area is pretty much like that you know san francisco marin county and everything further north you go it's a little bit different but uh, the bay area and the bay area pretty much consists of mm, let's just say going as far as uh maybe sonoma north which is wine country in napa that's still considered the bay area all the way over to vallejo uh, east bay oakland um dublin which is where arlen ness is his he's based out of that area south of san jose and all the way down to Monterey, 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 Monterey. Speaking of Monterey, uh, the other day, a friend of mine was standing off the end of his dock, and he saw this giant stingray. I think it was something like uh, with a six-foot span. That's kind of unusual in shallow water so in this area. But, you know, hey, they're out there. But they're harmless. They don't really bother anybody. Anyway, that's why I brought up Monterey's, Monterey's, Monterey. Anyway, so uh, let's see what else. Oh, yeah. So, you know, Monterey, just really cool. You know, make a week of it because you're, there's so much to see and you can't see it all. I mean, every year we try to do the same thing. We try to do something different. We mix it up a little bit. There are some events that you have to go to. We talk about this all the time, but uh, definitely worthwhile. Now, talking about tonight's show, we got a really special guest coming on for you this evening. This gentleman is a car guy. He's a photographer. He's an author. He's also a speaker. and uh, But he's done some pretty incredible work in his past. And most notably, he, t- he can take a lot of credit for some really cool 60s, early 70s album covers. So I'm looking forward to having him on the show. He's also uh, one of the um, top photographers that uh, covers many races around the country, including Pebble Beach and Monterey Historics and all that. So he's a pretty interesting guy. We're looking forward to having him on the show this evening. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to fire up the stereo because I'd like to get him on here pretty quick. So let's go play a little 60s music. Now, since we're talking about Monterey, hey, what could be better than Eric Burden and the Animals talking about a song that was played during the Monterey Pop Festival, which took place in the fairgrounds of Monterey, uh, back in 1967. And this is Monterey by Eric Burden. Hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't touch that dial. We will. Yes, I promise. Be back. Came and listened. Some of them came and played. Others give flowers away. 
Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. Okay, we're back. You're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I was uh, talking about the Pinto. Now, I'm not sure which one it was, but there was a 78 Pinto Squire wagon with something like 15,000 miles on it. Original unrestored car, kind of a funky green. And I was just looking it up here in a minute, but I haven't found it yet. But uh, I found it. I saw the car, obviously, but uh, 30,000 for a Pinto wagon. Wow. That's a new record. In fact, there was a lot of records set at Monterey. Speaking of records, let's talk about uh, car shows. This uh, the Florida Car Shows FLA Car Show Minute, and uh, well, you know what? Anytime you want to find out where the car shows are in the state of Florida, you got to check out flacarshows.com. Now, what's coming up here at the end of the month? Rensport at Monterey again. We have the uh, Atlanta Concourse coming up, and that's in Atlanta, outside of uh, the racetrack. And Superboat Clearwater Superboat races at the end of the month. And then, of course, SEMA, which is the last week in October, first week in November. And then the Cigar City Concourse, which is uh, actually one of the first concourse that will be uh, here on the uh, West Coast. So uh, at any rate, let's see. I think probably what we'll do now is is probably go ahead and get our guests on the line. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to fire up that turntable again. And uh, I had to find batteries for the transistor radio here, so uh, we couldn't find the right set of uh, AAA batteries. So I guess we're going to have to resort to the turntable. And he's going to play some 60s. What do we got? Oh, I think we got some Steppenwolf. Yeah, Born to be Wild. This was, uh, I think, the theme song to the movie Easy Rider, 1969, 1970. Anyway, hey, you're tuning in to Nostalgia Getting Cars. We'll be right back. Yeah. Sure. 
prisms and break the light in colors that no one knows the names of. This year, the judges of the Cannes Film Festival presented the award Best Film by a New Director to Easy Rider. It's the story of a man who went looking for America and couldn't find it anywhere. Easy Rider stars Peter Fonda. It's not every man that can live off the land, you know. You do your own thing in your own time. You should be proud. Also starring Dennis Hopper, the award-winning director of Easy Rider. Man, look, I gotta get out of here, man. We got things we want to do, man. Like, I, I, I gotta get out of here, man. Co-starring Jack Nicholson. He got to seriously, um, scissor happy, beautify America thing going on around here. They're trying to make everybody look like Yul Brynner. hell of a good country. I don't understand what's going on with it. Everybody got chicken, man. That's what happened. Hey, you got a rope? Hey, mister, can you tell where a man might find a bed? I never really thought of myself as a freak, you know? But I loved a freak. No, man. This is grass. You mean marijuana? Look like a bunch of refugees from a gorilla love in. Oh, I just can't believe. What are they doing here? I don't never know, but I don't think they'll make the parish line. Oh, Lord, look at them green. Hold on, Sam. We'll scare the hell out of them. They're not scared of you. They're scared of what you represent to them. Amen. Oh, we represent to them, man, as somebody who needs a haircut. Oh, what you represent to them is freedom. What the hell's wrong with freedom, man? That's what it's all about. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back. And you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest of the evening. This gentleman is uh, a very well-known photographer and author. He's uh, very well-known in the world of 60s, 70s album covers and a lot of automotive photography. But I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening Tom Gundelfinger O'Neill. Tom, how you doing? I'm doing great. This is awesome. Good. So tell us a little bit about how you got into photography. Now, I know you're a car guy, so why don't we start there? Let's go back to uh, you grew up in L.A., Southern California, basically, and you're a car guy. So that's where your roots are, right? It's in cars. You got that right. It started, uh, I, I got my first car when I was um, at 14. My um, my mother allowed me to have a, a 41 Chevy and uh, with a straight six in it, and I Turned that I tore that thing all apart and started working on it. And by the time I was sixteen, it was pretty. It was actually pretty fast. So I, I've, I've always loved cars. I've worked on them, and you know, I've torn my knuckles apart in the old days when before there was any kind of technology that you had to know. So, uh, you know, I've always been a fan. What are some of the other cars you had? And 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 did you kind of hang around with the uh, Southern California kind of hot rod crowd back then in the day? Yeah, I did in my teenage years. Yeah. Um, the, the car I got that um, when I, in my first, um, the first year I could really drive, uh, I kind of, the, I lost interest in the, in the older Chevy and I got a newer one. It was in 1958 and my um, parents knew some people at one of the um, regional dealerships in Southern California and they had a connection up in Detroit. So I was able to order a 58 Impala with a, um, 283 block and the solid valve lifters and the Duntoff cam and the fuel injection head to it. Really? Um, and that was, yeah, it was pretty rare. There were only about six made. Most of them were in the Bel Air series. I think there was my car and one more made. Um, so I didn't realize how rare it was or anything like that. But uh, I got involved with 
drag racing out at San Fernando Drag Strip, and I did my share of street racing, which I wouldn't uh, recommend to anybody. I did get popped by the LAPD, and that wasn't <laughs> fun. But uh, uh, anyway, um, yeah, I lost my license for quite a while there. But the, the car was fast, it was heavy, and uh, the it was a 290-horsepower Corvette engine, essentially, in this passenger car. And I put cutouts on it and then what was called uh, scavenger tubes. So I put these two-inch pipes coming off of these cutouts right off of the exhaust manifold. And I had a way of, of uh, opening them up manually. I could get underneath the car and open them up and without too much trouble. Uh, I think today they have an electronic switch in a lot of the BP cars, and I think it's called from, uh, uh, from uh, mild to wild you know, in terms of the sound and everything. And it certainly improves a little bit on the performance. So I was definitely into, uh, you know, going fast as much as I could. And then unfortunately it, it got me into trouble too many times, <laughs> but uh, it sure was fun. And I, and I love, you know, thinking about those times. And I recently actually at the uh, historic races over last weekend, uh, about a week and a half ago, I saw the, uh, I saw the exact same engine and it brought back terrific, uh, Memories. I also got a phone call from a classmate of mine from that uh, that he remembered I had that car and he had seen it on an auction in Florida and it was it went for just a little less than two hundred thousand dollars. Oh my! And I think originally, yeah, and originally the car cost thirty six hundred dollars. Anyway, that's uh, and then getting into photography. Photography is basically the same uh, the same principle of design and composition that you would have in painting and in uh in terms of college i was a fine arts major and i did a lot of painting and a lot of design work and when i um, got into uh, experimenting with a 35 millimeter camera I, I just found the immediacy of it and I, I i was just enamored by how quick i could make a painting and so i i kind of shifted over in m much more into photography and that that eventually led into um rock and roll photography and with my design background I was able to design and photograph a number of album covers and I for a period of time in the late 60s into the 70s almost into the 80s I was pretty active uh, shooting a lot of album covers and working a lot with uh, some pretty iconic bands and also celebrities you know I was in LA and I was in the mix it was a lot of fun well, t take us through that a little bit and uh, kind of break it down for us a little bit. So, so the car thing. So, you, when you went off to college, did you go to college in in, uh, in in LA or did you go someplace else? I think I was reading you no, went to I, Chicago, I went right? To, yeah, I went to the yeah uh, Art Institute in Chicago, and then from there, just briefly, and then I went um, to the University of Illinois in Chicago. It's called CI uh, UIC. That's what it's referred to. And I there were some just some amazing. Uh, teachers and professors and all that, and I, I, I was like a funnel going right into me, you know, my my core, and I still today um, have so much respect for what they taught me. And one guy in particular who's a retired architect, Stanley Tigerman, of all things, the guy that influenced me the most was, was a young architect at the time. And I took a color theory course with him, and, and the guy just lit the fires uh, the creative, all the creative fires, and they're they're still burning. I'm I'm happy to say I'm still turned on. I I feel very passionate about what I do. That's so, good. You know, I'd like to I'll I'll segue though something because I took some notes uh, as as you're doing your intro, and with that uh, Born to Be Wild, which was uh, came out in 1968, um, Steppenwolf. It was um, their first album. Nobody had ever really heard of the band when that album came out, and um, they were the ones that principally made that song famous when it was released in um, in the film Easy Rider, which we also heard, you know, played some dialogue from that. Uh, the the story with that song, uh, Born to Be Wild, is kind of interesting because it is today probably the most successful commercial rock and roll song in history, and it was written by a guy named Mars Bonfire which is a stage name, and um, his brother was the drummer in this newly formed band called Steppenwolf. They had previously been called The Sparrow. Uh, so uh, Mars Bonfire uh, was from Canada, and 
was living in L.A. at the time and and had never really owned a car. So, it's, but he bought one eventually, and his first car was like a '64 Ford Falcon. Now, that's not wouldn't you wouldn't even call that an exciting car. It's really not a muscle <laughs> car or anything like that. But as he was driving around L.A. in this Ford Falcon of his, he spots a billboard, and it was a, a Roger Corman film being advertised, and it was a woman with a tank top, and she was straddling a um, a Harley, you know, with an extended fork and all that. And and the, it just simply said, born to ride. And so he sees that, and he's digging, just driving around L.A., and all of a sudden things start happening in his head, you know, get your motor running, get out on the highway, you know, searching for adventure, all this. So anyway, that's, that's basically how he got inspired to write this immensely popular song. And the other interesting thing about it, he was more of a folk singer, so he originally wrote it really slowly, you know, with no big buildup or anything like that. So when he gave it to um, Steppenwolf to try, he, he did it in a very shy way. He didn't think much of the song, but he said, maybe you could try this. So he slipped, uh, he made a little piece of it, and he slipped the tape underneath their door. And um, Hey, uh, just in case uh, you're tuned in to Nostalgic Video and Cars, and I guess we just lost our guests here for some reason. It's almost as if, is there a storm going on out there? I don't know if we, got, we lost power. So, okay, so that's very possible. And uh, so I apologize for that, and we're definitely going to try to get our guests back on the air here in a minute. And uh, in case you uh, were listening to part of the story there, he was actually telling us a little bit about how he got into uh, photography. He was a fine arts major at the University of Chicago, and as he was doing the art thing, one thing led to another, and he got into photography. And then uh, since he was in the L.A. scene, he kind of got hooked up with some people there that were doing photography and met a musician or two and then one thing led to another and he started doing photography and combining that with his artistic background okay go ahead tom are you there we lost you sorry about that yeah I don't know if, I, that's a bummer yeah i'm sorry it was uh, actually my son calling from philadelphia oh okay don't worry uh, all right so tell us about, about you tell us about yeah, the so, slid the, he slid it underneath the door yeah slid, slid underneath the door and so they, they, you know, they found it and everything, and they tried it, and uh, they just said it's too slow. So John Kay, uh, who was the leader of the band, he kind of started uh, rearranging it and everything and picking up the beat, making it more of a, you know, just louder and a little bit with a heavier sound to it. And that was on their first album. But here's the other thing. The record company did not think that that song, Born to be Wild, was hit material. So they picked some other songs on the album. By the way, it's a, it's a Steppenwolf's first album. It's a great album, and I'm very proud of the fact that I did the cover, the front cover and back cover photographs for it. Um, but uh, aside from that, it it has some wonderful songs. So I think the first one was Suki Suki, or uh, you know, kind of a bluesy song. Anyway, they did two releases before they finally thought, well, maybe we should try Born to Be Wild. And the third time around, and the band thought it was a, a hit song, but the record company would not do it. They just didn't believe in it. And here it turns out to be one of the biggest, most successful, most ongoing songs ever in rock and roll history. So you never know. Just keep. I'm glad the band kept trying. Tell us how how you got into the. How did who was the first album cover, and how did that connection all come about? How did that uh, happen for you? Well. The the way it actually started for me in a nutshell is that I was actually living at the time on the Monterey Peninsula. I was actually living in Big Sur, and there was the, um, in June of 1967, there was the iconic Monterey Pop Festival. And that was actually the very first rock and roll pop festival over a three-day period um, ever. And that was more or less the, it set the, the template for so many to come. Woodstock was two years later, and then even today, Coachella, you know, festivals like that are still patterned after what happened, what started in 1967 um, in Monterey. And that's the one where Jimi Hendrix is famous for burning his guitar, and it was also the first time that Janis Joplin really broke out. It was it was an epic moment for many, many bands. But anyway, it's for me as well, I was able to attend and get press credentials 
and I was right up front, and I was able to photograph a lot of the bands, but one in particular was the Birds. And and one guy uh, that, that a friend told me that lived locally, uh, she said, listen, if you get pictures of David Crosby, I will send those pictures to his manager down in L.A. And, you know, you can see what happens after that. And so that did happen. I took shots. Uh, I took a lot of shots of Monterey Pop. They're in a, my book um, that I can tell you about in a minute. But um, I did take the pictures with Crosby, and they uh, went to L.A. His manager saw him. I got a phone call. And the next thing I know, I was down there, and he liked my work, and I was I was going off and photographing people. So he introduced me to a, an art director, a designer named Gary Burden, who liked what I had done. And um, Gary Burden was working on an album for the birds. And I did the photography for the cover. So it, it turned out to be um, not... <laughs> This is good. This is the fun of it. And I did all these album covers. The very first one I did was rejected. The producer did not like the cover. He thought it was terrible. So my first attempt in, in becoming a rock and roll photographer doing an album cover was a failure. But uh, that didn't last very long. The next one was for Steppenwolf, and it was with the same art director, Gary Burden, who went on to do many, many, many famous album covers. And um, that album was, was uh, very successful. And uh, I actually built a great relationship with Steppenwolf. And over the next eight or nine years, I did about nine or ten albums for them, uh, mostly photography and designing. And a, a number of those albums have been redesigned, and the photos have been used on re-releases. So out of this, those eight or nine Steppenwolf albums, there's about 35 albums worldwide that basically have my images or my design on them. So it's, uh, unfortunately, I didn't get any royalties on those, but uh, it is fun to see, you know, when I go, when I Google some of these, I see albums that I didn't know existed, and there are my photographs. Interesting. Very cool. So, like, take us through the process. So, in other words, so now you got this uh, picture. When when you were taking the pictures of uh, the birds and everybody at Monterey, at the Pop Festival, at the, at, which is basically the festival in downtown Monterey there, festival, the fairgrounds, which is over by the airport, or b- below the airport right. there. Right, Um did you? Did they give you access on stage, or were you just like in the very front, down below the stage? I mean, how, what kind of shots were you able to get? I got shots from right in front of the stage. Okay. And quite honestly, um, to be on stage is a disadvantage. Oh, is it? And you will always, you will always get your best stage. You will always get your best shots from in front. Okay. The the um, the thing that happened to me was that here I am, a, a design, a painting design major right out of school, and I was very concerned about everything in a photograph. Uh, I, I hadn't gotten into what it was like really to capture the moment and, and just start shooting spontaneously. Uh, there were too many things in the photograph that I was always kind of concerned about. So when I started the very first day there at Monterey, I was up in front, and the group was... Um, First group that came on that photograph was Chan Heat, and several years later, I'm I'm doing I'm photographing, I'm doing album covers for them and all that. Um, but the there was another group, Country Joe and the Fish. Oh yes, and and uh, they were terrific. And so there I am in front, and the stage is about seven feet high. The floor of the stage is still about a foot. I was about six, a little over six feet then. So here's the stage, almost a foot higher than I am. And so uh, when you're right in front, you're shooting up. And um, just imagine taking pictures of somebody by laying down on the floor and shooting up at them. You get these nostril shots. So <laughs> I, I thought that, I mean, it was awful. I, I said, oh, my God, here, all I can see are these nostrils flared as these guys are singing and the distortion of the guitars from that low angle and everything. And I said, this is not very good at all. So I chose to pick a spot over to the side of the, the right side of the stage. And by about the third day, most of the photographers kind of had their spots dialed in, and they owned it. So if, if, if you can just imagine looking at the front of the stage, I'm over off on the right. And again, it's about it's the same height all the way around. So in order for me to take a picture from the side, I more or less had to hold the camera up above my head. And I would pre-focus by picking somebody out in the audience that was the same distance as somebody on the stage 
that I wanted to shoot. And I would focus on the person in the audience, and then I, I would then aim it back at whoever was on stage that I wanted to get, and I would just start shooting away, holding it above my head. Now, it's film, and there's no, you know, little monitor on the back of the camera. So when Jimi Hendrix came out on the last night, I, nobody knew who he was. And when he was introduced by Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones, and, and it was, and Brian Jones had this little meek voice, and you could barely hear, you know, now, ladies and gentlemen, from the sensation from England, Jimmy Hendrix experience, this little quiet tone. And then Hendrix absolutely explodes with this this driving, driving guitar riff, you know, I think it was the, uh, the Killing Field or something, but it was so powerful. And then by the time the drums and the bass kicked in, the stage exploded. So I'd never seen anything like this or heard anything like this. So there's a tremendous amount of excitement. So part of me wanted to watch it, and the other part wanted to shoot it. It was so difficult to shoot that I, I watched a lot of it. I did get some shots off. So when he actually burned his guitar at the end of the set, I was able to get up on a chair, but I had to share the chair with another photographer, a woman photographer. Being a gentleman, I let her take most of the chair. So while he was doing his, this incredible, beautiful act of, of giving his, his sacrificing his guitar to the to his muse of music, just in the most beautifully choreographed moves, I was basically busy trying to keep my balance <laughs> uh, without falling into the stage and with my right hand trying to advance the camera with my thumb. And, and, the, and a 35-millimeter camera is not designed to shoot with one hand. And so, uh, and I was because I was on the right side of the stage, I was using my right arm, my right hand to kind of keep my balance. And so... I just said, this is too hard. I'm just going to watch it. And I didn't realize that photographers don't watch. They shoot. So here it was this iconic moment of, of Jimmy burning his guitar. The best shot was exactly where I had been two days before. And I had made this choice to move to the side. So I looked back at that and I realized that was the dumbest thing that I had ever done. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you win some, you lose some. I still ended up being, doing uh, After Jimmy Had Died, I designed an album for the soundtrack on the film of Jimi Hendrix, uh, which became very popular. And I also uh, am happy to say, 40 years later, when the CD was released of Jimi Hendrix Live at Monterey, uh, my, my picture is on the inside cover. It dominates the whole inside. So, you know, I still got to do a, a two Jimi Hendrix albums, even though I didn't get much during this performance. That's, that's pretty Monterey. That's pretty incredible. Now some of the other uh, I'm looking I'm on your website here and uh, which is Tom Gundelfinger O'Neill, right? And uh, yeah. and you've got some there's some pretty amazing bands up here. I mean you've got Stills, you got uh, Grassroots, uh, you've got uh, let's see who else is up here. Neil Young and uh, Oh yeah, no, there's some BB King and then there's yeah. you know you guys yeah, and Tony Mitchell, I, I photographed a lot. I mean, getting it since you've got a lot of car listeners, um, I'll, I'll give some fun facts that not too many people know. I mean, Steppenwolf is a, still a, a widely popular band, and uh, Jerry Edmonton, who is the drummer, Mars Bonfire's brother, um, he and I became a, very close, and we did a lot of the albums together. He, he had tremendous very brilliant concepts, and I was able to put them into photography and design. Uh, but he had two cars. One was a vintage 37 um, Bentley, a black Bentley, which we used in several photo sessions. And he also had a, an AC Bristol. And I remember seeing him go across, going across San Vicente and, and uh, just almost at the border of, uh, between West L.A. and Beverly Hills. And uh, I knew who he was. I mean, we were friends then, but I remember seeing him just barreling across San Vicente, and he had a leather, uh, ra you know, racing hat on with the goggles in this uh, dark blue AC Bristol, and I uh, with his wife, and I thought it was one of the cooler moments. A lot of the guys, you know, they started to make money. They bought fast cars or unusual cars. John Kay 
who's the leader, he had a 300 SL going. Uh, I remember when David Crosby one time had a Dino. Uh, I remember, I think, when Stephen Stills got his first royalty check from the first Crosby, Stills, and Nash album, he went out and he bought a, uh, a Lambo, a Lamborghini, Mira, um, that he drove around town. Uh, the, the cars were always, always interesting. Of course, a lot of guys had the Porsches. Gene Clark of the Birds had a Ferrari that was pretty cool, and we would tool around in that. So um, that was kind of a fringe benefit, you know. You got to hang out with these guys, and and sometimes you know you end up in their cars, and and um, you know, as I said, it was definitely a perk. But you know, um, staying with the car thing, uh, there's another kind of rock star that I photographed, and I see uh, quite frequently. And with Car Week here, I saw a number of these guys, but. I've gotten to know Hurley Haywood, who's a Florida boy, um, yep. uh, pretty well. And uh, he's a fascinating guy. And then uh, Scott Pruitt, as well, who's you know here in California. And uh, just, uh, both these guys are really tremendous, wonderful, wonderful people. And they've accomplished so much. And then, in fact, Scott and Hurley both have the same record of winning Daytona. Uh, five times each, which is pretty cool. That's another thing I get to do uh, every year is I shoot for Rolex, and I cover the Daytona 24-hour um, socially and also in terms of the uh, getting art shots of the cars, and, and I'm responsible for the start and the finish, getting those shots, and with as much Rolex signage and the pictures I can put into it. So I um, I shoot a lot of cars. I, I I mean, currently I would say I do that more than, certainly more than doing the rock and roll thing. Speaking of rock and roll, I've got to ask you this. Now, I heard we had Greg Raleigh on. Greg Raleigh was co-founder of Santana. He had, back yeah. in the day, he had a... Uh, a, I think a 55, 56, 57 Chevrolet. That was his hot rod. And he was telling us that Carlos Santana at the time worked in a, uh, he was a flipping burgers at some little restaurant downtown San Francisco. And then they got together and they started jamming. So now they're, they're, they're fast forward. They're at Woodstock, right? And they're, they're heading out. There's a break there. And I guess they were heading into town for something. And there's this blue Corvette in front of them. And the blue Corvette in front of them is moving like really, really, really slow. And it's kind of zigzagging down the road. And there's a cloud of smoke coming out of it. When they finally got around the guy, it was Jimi Hendrix driving it. Now, did, did, did yeah. Jimi Hendrix have a blue 68 or 69 Corvette back in the day? Do you know? He had a blue 60. I would say he had a, yeah, he had a blue 68 Corvette. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and um, yeah, and he, I didn't get a chance to um, uh, hang with him that much. But a uh, close friend of mine, Ed Karev, who was responsible for taking that that iconic photo of Jimmy burning his guitar at Monterey Pop, uh, because he was in exactly at the right place at the right time. Yeah, your spot, um, right? Your right. spot where you are supposed to be standing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ed, Ed got my early spot, <laughs> and we're, we're good friends. We're good friends. We talk whenever we get together. We still talk about it. But he spent some time uh, driving Jimmy around. Jimmy, Jimmy couldn't see that well. He, he had a hard time. He wasn't a good driver. You know, he basically <laughs> needed to wear glasses when he drove. But yeah, he had that Corvette. He bought it right off the show. Went in. Impulsively bought it right off the showroom showroom floor. You know, there's another impulsive moment. Um, I, I don't know if it's uh, how accurate it is, but I've heard it from a number of people. And Grace Slick, who I met years ago when I did a lot of work with Crosby, Stills, and Nash, an amazing, amazing, beautiful woman. Um, when she was in San Francisco, uh, you know, Jefferson Airplane was based in San Francisco. And there was a moment where she walked into, I believe, a Maserati dealership and... Uh, in barefoot and blue jeans and all that with her long hair and this was right in the middle of the hippie era and, and with the hate ashbury so close and all <laughs> that uh, the, the, the guys in the dealership saw this hippie chick coming in and they basically just tried to get her out of the dealership and she asked about one of the cars how much was and you know the price was $20,000 she had the cash on her and bought the car and I that's grace I, I, I hope that's true because I've heard it from a number of people and that is so definitive um, who Grace Flick is. She's just, um, wow. I don't know her that well. I met her years ago, but uh, just an amazing woman. One of the so best. I'm, I'm trying to pull up his, 
as many car stories as I can. One of the one of the best rock and roll lady girl rock and roll singers too, uh, Grace Slick. What an amazing voice. The other thing I was going to ask you too, uh, you filmed. Uh, Jim Morrison. We're obviously huge Doors fans here. Jim Morrison had a 67 Shelby. It was called the Blue Lady. And, of course, the mystery is, is where that car went. And uh, so did you ever get a chance to see Jim Morrison with his 67 Shelby? No, I I, I heard about it. Um, and I, uh, I heard about it through several friends and then also a good friend of mine, Henry Diltz, who photographed uh, the album Morrison Hotel. Uh you know, I I bet you he would know that. He'd be a great interview, by the sure. way, Henry Dilt. Yeah, I can give you, I can get you in touch with him. He's a good friend, and uh, uh, he and I have a lot of similar stories like this. But he he shot the doors and knew them a lot more. I spent some time with, with mostly with Morrison when I was shooting on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, and that's where I got some of the, the shots that you'll see on my website and even in my book. And I, there were several days over the, the time that they were there during the taping that um, I would hang with them a little bit when I was right. What was interesting about Jim is, you know, uh, and Ray Masnerak would talk about this, that, you know, he's really two people, the Jim on stage and then the quiet Jim, the poet, reflecting all the time. And um, during the tapings there, he would always sit by himself, maybe about 10 feet away from the band. The rest of the guys would sit down in front, and they'd be John and talking and laughing. But Jim would always be by himself. And he'd have a little black 5 by 7 book that he carried everywhere with him. And there were moments where I kind of read the situation. I'd go over and talk to him, and it was cool. He was very cordial, quiet, uh, kind of withdrawn, and but very nice, always very nice to me. And I, so, the, and then I'd see him on stage, and he was a completely different person. But I didn't, um, you know, I, I think that you could ask that same question, hopefully, if you interview Henry Dills. And he might have an answer about Jim's car. Interesting. Tom, we're just about up against the clock. So you have a uh, – so real quick, what you can do is you can uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, studio in Monterey and then your website and how people can get a hold of you. We've got about a minute, yeah. Yeah. Well, the website is uh, um, tgophoto.com. And on that, you will uh, you can search and you'll even see – if you go up on the menu on the left, um, you'll see some of my archive photos. And you'll also see press, and under press, you'll see that I have a book out. And it's simply called Gundelfinger, Memoirs of a Rock and Roll Photographer. You can buy it off the website. Um, I'm very proud of it. It's uh, been very well received. Uh, I'm a very active photographer, uh, but as I said, mostly I shoot. Uh, I do a lot for Rolex, and uh, which involves me quite a bit in the car world. I shoot a lot of golf at Pebble Beach. I still do a lot of celebrity photography. And um, I, I had a photo session with Jim Nance coming up in about uh, half an hour, and because of the weather, we've had to cancel it. Um, the sports, you know, he's with CBS, and he's a tremendous guy, and I've been doing a lot of photography with him. Uh, so I, I get, uh, and I'm in a commercial coming up. I'm going down to L.A. tomorrow to shoot a commercial, so um, a national spot. So I'm still very active, and um, I, I hope that uh, you can follow me on Facebook at Tom G. O'Neill. Or uh, Tom G O'Neill at on uh, Instagram. So um, I'd love to hear from you. Super. And your studio, real quick. It's where Monterey or Carmel? Oh yeah, I'm based in Carmel. Okay. I have a small loft office studio, but um, uh, you can always contact me if you're interested in the book or another interview or something like that. Uh, I love talking to people, and you can contact me through the the website ggophoto.com. All right, super. Well, Tom, it was uh, certainly a pleasure having you on the show. I look forward to having you on again sometime. We can talk about more cars, more photos, and all that good stuff. In the meantime, you take care. Thank you very much. I want to thank my very special guest, Tom Gundelfinger O'Neill, the artist, photographer, and author. So, uh, hey, guys, don't forget to check us out every Tuesday night here on the Tantalk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m. for the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports and automotive and music and rock and roll. Don't forget to tell your friends to tune in as well. Follow us on our social media, Facebook, Instagram. I think we're doing some Twitter. One of the two. And hey, check out FloridaCarshows.com. Find out where all the car shows, all the cool stuff going on in the state of Florida. This weekend, Guitars and Cars up at uh, Renegers in Mount Dora. Hopefully we'll see you there. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.
telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen. 